Amen. First Timothy chapter number two, beginning in verse number one, what we're going to be looking at this morning is, is part of our prayer lives. And I want you to know that if you're alive, you should be having a prayer life. Prayer is essential to a believer. Prayer is essential to a believer. It's not a cherry on top of a good Christian life. Prayer is not, you know, just the afterthought. Prayer is essential. As oxygen is to your body, prayer is essential to a believer's life. And I want to encourage you this morning as we go through this message to go deeper in prayer. None of us have arrived yet. None of us have gone to the deepest depths yet. Go deeper. Go deeper. What we're going to look at this morning, this passage in verse number 1, 1 Timothy 2. Paul said, I exhort therefore, and exhortation is an encouragement. It's an encouragement. It is to strengthen you, to build you up. One of the reasons that God gave the offices of the ministry is to perfect the body of Christ. Without those offices that you see in Ephesians 4, there's no perfecting. Amen? And this exhortation is coming along the same lines. If you don't find these things, you're not going to become as complete as God wants you to be. Amen? But God wants to use you, and God wants to build you up into a man or a woman on fire for him. And God can use you to change lives. God can use you to pray for people. God can use you to lead others to the Lord. God can use you to, be, to, to point others to Jesus Christ. I want you to know you don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to have a doctorate. You don't have to have nothing else except for a love of God and a love of people. And this whole thing's going to boil down to do you love God and do you love people? That was the greatest commandment according to the Lord. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor likewise. And in that, the whole law summed up. Now, how, how many of us can truly say that we love God with all that of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we also love others likewise? When we look at others, and we show favoritism towards others. And what I want to share with you this morning is in this passage. He says, he exhorts, right? He exhorts so that you can be built up. How many of you want to become the man or the woman of God that God's called you to be? You don't have to, you don't have to go to a conference. You just need the Spirit of God. And you need an obedient heart. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications... Prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, let me just break this down for just a second, and we got some moving on to do. First off, exhortation to intercession. The exhortation to intercession it hinges on your love for other people and your desire to see God move in their lives. And what God's calling us to in this passage is to pray for all men, not your men. God's called you to pray for all men, not your favorite men. 
In other words, don't just pray for your denomination. Don't just pray for your foreign no more. Don't just pray for your political party. Don't just pray for your nation. Pray for all men. You want to see God move in all people's lives. Amen? Because God's no respecter of persons, and neither is the enemy. The enemy wants to destroy Republican and Democrat. He wants to destroy black and white. He wants to destroy brother and sister. He wants to destroy everybody. Anybody that loves God, he's after. Now watch this. He says that there's intercessions for all men, that we may lead a peaceable life. Number one, if you're not praying, you're not going to be in peace. Because there's a burden of prayer on the believer. You've been called to pray. And you're not going to lead a peaceable life if you're not praying as you should. You're always going to have this, this feeling right down in here. Because you're not fulfilling the will of God for your life. You're not walking in what God wants you to walk in when you're being disobedient to his call for prayer. Why does God want us to pray? Just to waste our time? No. Jesus prayed. He wasn't wasting his time. He, he fulfilled the, the desire of God in everything that he did. Praying strengthens you. Praying strengthens you. It gives you a strength within, not without sometimes, within all the time. Prayer will strengthen you to weather storms. Prayer will give you the ability to weather the things that come against you. You see, one of the things that we see in intercession is that you des it's, intercession is one of these prayers that we see here in verse number one. Intercession is when you stand in the gap for others. Intercession is when you see they're in a bad spot and you desire to stand in the gap for them. You see, uh, uh, Corey Ten Boom, she said, discernment is a call for intercession, not gossip. If God's given you the ability to discern somebody's going through a hard time, it's because God's calling you to stand for them. Stand in the gap for them. If you see somebody falling, God's not telling you, God's not showing you that so that you can go tell other people, well, sister so-and-so must be going through a hard time. I knew she shouldn't have married that guy because see now. See, God, if God's given you discernment, he's given you discernment so that you can intercede for that person, so that you can stand in the hedge, so that you can stand in the gap and pray for them, cover them with prayer and love. And sometimes you might have to fast for them. Amen? But this intercession comes from a place of compassion. Do you look on others and have compassion on them? I was telling the nursing home service earlier, if you look, one of the best Bible studies you'll see in the New Testament, look in there at all the times that the Bible says, talking about Jesus, and he had compassion on them. And he had compassion on them. He looked on them with compassion. And he had compassion on them. What does that mean? It means that he related to their pain. He related to their suffering. Amen? It means he felt it. That's what compassion is. 
Passion is feeling. And compassion means I'm coming along beside it. I'm feeling what you're feeling, brother. I'm hurting with you, sister. I know it's hard. I'm sorry for you, and I'm here with you. But you know what? That is the epitome of intercession. When you're willing to look on others' hardships and stand in the gap for them. When you see that they've got faults or you see that they've got problems, pray for them. Don't point out their problems. Pray for them. Intercede for them. More people's lives have been changed through prayer than gossip. God's called you to intercede. You see something not right in your home? Pray. You see something not right with your child? Intercede for your child. If you're not going to stand in the gap for your child, who is? You depending on sister so-and-so at church to stand in the gap for your child? Who's going to stand for them? Who's going to stand for your spouse? Who's going to stand for your family? Who's, you see something wrong in your church? Intercede. Don't gossip. You see something wrong in your nation? Intercede. Don't go to political war. Go to spiritual war. You're not going to accomplish nothing by marching unless you're marching to an altar on your knees. You go and you intercede for your nation, things will change overnight. Leaders all over the world have had changes of heart that they can't explain. Why? Well, we know because God's people began to pray in that place. God's people began to intercede for their nation. God's people began to intercede on behalf of those that are innocent. God's people begin to pray, things happen. God's called us. He's exhorting us in this passage to intercede. Intercession, intercession is forever linked to compassion. If you don't have compassion, you'll never intercede for somebody. But if you have compassion for others, you won't be able to not intercede for somebody. And I want to tell you this morning that one thing the enemy wants you to do is not feel. You see somebody without food, you see somebody without a house, you see somebody begging for money on the side of the road, the enemy wants you to pass them by. No, don't look. Pass them by. But God's called us, amen, to serve others, to love others, and to have compassion on those that are going through hard times. Amen? God's called us to have compassion on one another. You don't know what sister so-and-so's battling. She may be, she, she be kind of shaky right now, right? She may be going through a hard time. Maybe she's a little bit on edge. You don't know what she's battling. Have compassion. Intercede. Look on her with love as a sister. The old brother so-and-so, he's not reliable. We're just going to talk about him till he's nothing but bone. Old brother so-and-so's not reliable means he needs you to not talk about him but intercede for him. Oh, brother, so-and-so not being reliable means he needs a strong believer who has all this discernment to, to have compassion and to stand in the gap and to pray for him. I want to show you something about intercession. Um, turn with me over to Genesis. Let's go over to, to Genesis chapter number 18. Genesis chapter number 18. Now, over here is probably the best definition of what intercession actually is. I want you to know intercession is 
I showed you 1 Timothy 2.1 because God's called you and me, all of us, to intercede. Sometimes there's thoughts in churches where, oh, that sister so-and-so, she's a deep prayer warrior. She's an intercessor. Well, she may be, but you've been called to intercede too. Because if you're not interceding, it means you're not being compassionate on your brother or your sister. And I'm going to point out that that verse said that you should pray for all men. Not just the people that go to your church. When the Bible says that we should intercede and have supplication, all prayers, supplication are our needs, our needs. Supplications are, the, and, and God wants you to pray the things that you need because there's times that you need things. But intercession is when you're not looking at yourself. You're looking on others. You're looking on the plight of others. See, intercession comes, like I said, from a place of compassion. All of us know what we need. All of, us, all of us know that we need things. Supplication is, God, I need you to move. I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm barely holding on. My, my milk's run out. My cupboard's bare. I got no gas in my truck. And God knows what we need. And his promise is if we'll seek him first, seek him first and his kingdom, what? All these things will be added unto us. That's his promise. That's his provision. Most people think provision is, is just a paycheck. No, provision is whatever you need. The things that you need, God will provide. More than you'll ever need, God will provide for you. But you've got to pray. Now, this intercession, getting back over here, the intercession is when you're standing in the gap, it's birthed out of compassion. So like I said, if you don't have compassion on others, you're never going to have this ministry of intercession. But I want to show you, and I showed you this morning, that God's called you to intercession. The, the, the literal definition um, is to pass between or to stand in front of. Intercession means to pass between or to stand in front of. So what you're doing is you're seeing a problem and a person and you're passing between them. Now, look, in America, most of the time, when you see other people going through a hard time, you look on them and you go, whew, glad that's not me. And, and, and let's, not, let's be realistic. There's probably some people you go, I hope you have a great fall. Told you you shouldn't have done that. Guess you'll think twice before you do me wrong again. That is zero compassion. See, God's called us to be compassionate. Intercession is birthed out of a place of compassion where you look on the pain of others. You look at their situation, you look at them, and you're willing to stand in between them and the hardship. You see somebody going through a hard time, are you willing to get on your face and intercede for them? That's what God's called you to do. You know what? This is a ministry that anybody can do. You don't have to go door knocking to do this ministry. You don't have to go out in public to do this ministry. This is a private ministry. This is a private ministry that only you and God know about. And it will actually strengthen your walk with God. 
Because the minute you take your eyes off your own problems, they'll start getting smaller. I promise you that. The enemy, every time you get a problem, the enemy's going to give you a, a magnifying glass. And your problems are going to look bigger than they actually are every time. But if you'll put the magnifying glass down from self and begin to look on the plight of others, you'll begin to see through the lens that God wants you to see. Intercession is birthed from compassion, okay? The greatest example, I believe, is from Abraham. Abraham, in Genesis chapter number 18, I'm going to just begin in verse number 20. Genesis 18, verse number 20. So the angel of the Lord, you know, came down and was visiting with Abraham and was on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And let me remind you, Sodom and Gomorrah did not have the Torah. They didn't have the law. They didn't have a covenant with God. They were just wicked folks. It says in verse number 20, the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. That stood yet, that's intercession. In other words, the, the, the angel of the Lord, they came down, the, the host of the heavenly, they came down and they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They were on their way to look at them, to destroy them. And he said, you know what? Before we do that, why are we going to withhold this from Abraham? Let's go ahead and tell Abraham what we're going to do. And, he's, and he told Abraham, because their sin is grievous, right? We're going to go visit them. And he said, when the, when, the, when the Lord turned to go to Sodom, Abraham stood yet. He stood between Sodom and the Lord. This is the definition of intercession. You see, Sodom didn't deserve that. Sodom was wicked. Sodom was wicked. This is the opposite of how Jonah felt about Nineveh. But see, whenever God wanted to, to bring uh, revival to Nineveh, Jonah didn't want that. Jonah wanted him to destroy Nineveh. But see, Abraham looked on Sodom with compassion. He didn't want them to suffer the wrath of God. He had compassion on them. And so he stood yet in the gap. This is what we call, and this is where we get this from, standing in the gap. Are you willing to stand in the gap for others? Are you willing to pray for others? Are you willing to fast for others? Are you willing to look at their plight and look at their hardship and begin to go to God for them? Stand between them and God. Say, God, I know they've got it hard, but Lord, please help them. Lord, please move in their life. Lift this heavy burden from them. Are you willing to stand in the gap for others? See, one of the problems and one of the dangers that we have in Christianity today is it's all about us. If, you're, if the message is not about you and how you can have a better life, you don't want to hear it. Christianity is not all about us. 
in intercession is something God's called you to. Showed you there, 1 Timothy 2.1. God's called you there. You're not going to live a peaceable life if you're not willing to have compassion and pray for others. Some people wonder, well, what's my purpose in life? I'm just bored. What am I supposed to do, just go to church all the time? No, you're supposed to get engaged with the Spirit of God. God's called you to a deeper life with more purpose than you've ever imagined. If you'll get in this place with God where he can use you, where he can turn you and show you things, and you'll begin to not gossip, not backbite, not throw your hands up, but pray, intercede, and stand in the gap for those that are going through hard times. Look what it says. It said that Abraham stood yet before the Lord, and Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, the rest of the story, you know, Abraham said, Well, look, if there's 50, right? If there's 50, will you still destroy them? If there's 50 righteous, God. And he gets all the way down to 10. He gets all the way down to 10. God, if there's 10 righteous, please don't destroy Sodom. He's interceding for the city that he doesn't even live in. His brother-in-law does. But you know what? God said he would save the city if there was 10 righteous. The city's not there today. That tells you there was not 10 righteous in the city. And I believe if, 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 if we see this the way that God wants us to see this this morning, God's called us to stand yet before him and this nation. This nation is in a dangerous place right now. We've gone past polite political discourse, and we are now on the verge of full onslaught evil being brought out in our nation. Just this past week, a political leader postured a new law that a baby that was born, they would put on a table and make it comfortable until the doctor and the mother had a talk about whether to kill it outside the womb or not. What that's called is infanticide, which is a pleasant name for killing infants. Infanticide is not new. It's been done throughout history. The God of Molech of the Old Testament was a God who required baby sacrifices, infanticide, even back then. Molech stood tall. He had the fire going behind him and his arms outstretched and the mothers and the fathers would place their infants that were already delivered onto the arms and down the chute and into the fire of Molech. And the promise was if they sacrificed their children, they might experience better better life in the future. They might experience better life now. More money, more finances, a better job. I don't have time to take care of a kid, right? You know that right now in our nation that there are more children aborted in New York than born that are black. I want you to know this too. The abortion industry in our nation was birthed out of racism against the African-American community. It was birthed out of that. 
And the, the, the reason that abortion is so prevalent right now is because the enemy is on the prowl. What you're seeing posture, what you're seeing postured right now, this infanticide. How many of you ever thought that you would hear that our nation would put forward a law that it would actually kill an infant after it's been born? See, there was a time, there was a time when we didn't think it would get this bad. But here we are. But we're not at the bottom yet. The enemy comes to steal kill and destroy not shock and just because and if you notice there was a law passed in New York that allowed them to kill the babies up to the moment they're being born and Virginia decided to take it one step forward and say well now let's just go after they're born and I want you to know that if there since we haven't reached bottom yet if the church doesn't stand in the gap for these babies since we haven't reached the bottom yet, there will be another state that tops that one. They'll say, we'll wait for a week. And then another one will say, well, we'll wait for a month. Then you can kill it. And then another one will say, well, we'll wait up to a year. After you've had your baby for a year, if you don't want it, you can kill it. It's never going to end with Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When is the church going to say enough? When is the church going to decide it's time to stand yet before these infants and the Lord and say, God, bring help. Lord, we just stand in the gap for these children and we're interceding, God, for your help in their lives. When is the church going to wake up? One of my favorite pastors, he said, you know, whenever the, the homosexuality ruling came down from the Supreme Court, he said... My only prayer is that this will finally get the church to wake up. To say Satan's done crossed the line. But we didn't wake up. It's just like after 9-11. Thousands of Americans died from Islamic terrorists. And the Sunday after 9-11, churches were full all over the place. A month later, churches were empty again. Just like after Christmas, just like after Easter. What is it about us? As long as we can keep going to McDonald's, we're not going to change. It's because we have zero compassion as a people. Intercession is birth from compassion. And if you'll ever find compassion for little infants, you'll begin to intercede for little infants. If you'll ever find compassion for African-American community, you'll begin to intercede for them. If you'll ever find compassion for churches that are struggling, you'll intercede for them. If you'll ever find compassion for widows and downtrodden and orphans, you'll begin to intercede for them. If you'll ever find compassion for the homeless, for the hungry, for the naked, you'll begin to fast and intercede for them. It's birthed out of compassion. And the church has no compassion right now. As long as we can go to McDonald's, we have no compassion. We are a people who need God's help to wake up. I heard a, I heard a guy say, I heard a minister say this. He said, if we as a church will stand by while they kill infants, we deserve to die as a nation. 
If we're a nation that will actually allow this to go on and not holler and wake up about it, why are we here? Why not just become Russian or China? Why do we exist if we can't stand up for infants, the most vulnerable in our society? God loves the weak. God loves the downtrodden. God comes along beside those that are going through hardships and trials. And if you'll begin to find a place in your heart for compassion for these people, and they're people, they're infants, but they're people, if you'll find compassion for them, you'll find the power of God on your life to pray for them. Intercession is birthed from compassion. And I want you to see that Sodom, Sodom, now Sodom was wicked. And yet Abraham had compassion on them. He didn't say, God, pull them out. He said, God, if there's that many righteous, don't destroy the city. God, help us. As a nation, when we allow these things to continue on, you see, you might say, well, you know, what are my prayers going to do? What are my prayers going to do? Well, you know what? Your prayers will change things. Let me show you something in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. I don't know if you know this or not. Some of you, this may shock you. But since Roe v. Wade was passed, and, and praise God that the lady that that was named after got saved and baptized. Praise God for that. She repented. She got saved and baptized. But how many of you know that since that law was passed, almost 60 million babies have been aborted? Enough to populate 19 states. But how many of you know the number of American soldiers that have died in all the wars, from the American Revolution to the Civil War to the War of 1812 to World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, enduring freedom, all the number of soldiers that have died in America is less than 1.5 million. 1.5 million soldiers died on the battlefield for this nation. 60 million babies have died in the nation. And yet, as long as we have the theatrical production in the church, we don't care. As long as we can go to the next conference and send in our seed of $2,000 so we can get somebody's watch, we don't care. But God's called his people to fight. God's called you to find a place of compassion, to look on these people's plight, and to begin to intercede and fast for them. Let me show you something here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. Sometimes we think, you know, 
And I don't want you to think that this message is about Republican versus Democrat because they're both rotten. I don't care. I would say they're both rotten. But, but we should fight against rotten laws like these that are killing infants, okay, and other issues like that, like homosexuality or whatever. But the way that we fight is not by marching in the street. The way that we fight is not by holding up posters and not, and look, and it's not even by Facebook. I'm sorry. The way that you're supposed to fight is on your knees. The way that you're supposed to fight is on your face before God, standing yet, standing and interceding for your nation, for these infants, for everything that's going on in this place. Look what it says in verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You see, the, the natural man thinks if we can get a million people to march, we're going to change something. But if you'll notice what moved God, when Abraham asked, he said, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare them? We don't need a million people to march. We need 50 righteous to pray. 40, 30, 20 Ten. God said, fine, if there's ten. If there's ten that will intercede, if there's ten righteous, I'll hold off judgment. See, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're mighty through God, right? Our warfare is not carnal. It's not about taking it to the street. It's about taking it to the altar. If you're not willing to take your fight to the altar, don't take it to the street. All you're doing is puffing up your ego. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And let me tell you something. There is a stronghold on this nation, and there's a stronghold on the church today because the church is bound up right now. The church, you want to know, you want to know what the church is bound up in? Apathy. Apathy. Apathy is the opposite of passion. The, the A in front of it means apart from it. Apart from passion. Apathy. Uh, Noah Webster, I looked up the word apathy in his dictionary. He said, quietism, which is what the church is. Quietism is apathy disguised as a good life. Quietism, right? Oh, I'm not bothering nobody. Nobody's bothering me. I'm just, you know, all I'm just going. To, all I want to do is go fish and and, and 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 provide for my family and go home and eat a meal. That's all I want. That's called quietism. And all that is is apathy disguised. You want to live a quiet Life, that's apathy disguised. God's called you to intercede. God's called you to cry out on behalf of others. God's called you to action. God's called you to move on the plight of others, to look at the downtrodden. One of the, one of the verses in James chapter 1, he said, pure religion, undefiled religion, is when you care for the orphan and you care for, for those that are downtrodden, and you care for the widows. 
That's pure and undefiled religion. Not having a good church service. I'm not against having good church services, but that's not pure religion. Pure religion is when you become compassionate and you stand in the gap for others. See, the, the nation, the churches in this nation are all about the three, theatrical production. Lights, camera, action. Dance. Dance for us. It's a theatrical production in the church and we should pray it out. God is not moved by theatrical production. He sees right through it, but the church is so ignorant it doesn't. God sees through all that. Why is it? We got, we got churches right now that are more populated than ever before. Thousands, 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 and more ignorant than ever before. People preaching things from the pulpit that is heretical, straight up. And people don't even bat an eye anymore. Why is it? Because we're ignorant. And all we care about is the theatrical production value that a church can offer us. And maybe if they have a good children's church and a good coffee shop. See, they can have a good, they can have good, they can have laser lights, they can have smoke machines, they can have good children's church, they can have a coffee shop, they can have a souvenir shop, they can charge you to come in the door, charge you to get out the door, but if you allow the Holy Spirit to move, nobody's coming. God's called us to stand in the gap for others. To have compassion on their plight. Are you willing to be one of those people, one of those few, one of those few who will look at others and, and discern their hard time and not talk about them, not gossip about them, not backbite about them, but get on your face before God for them. Don't be about them, be for them. Amen. You want to see this nation change? If a church will change, the nation will change. If we'll stop being about each other and be for each other, we'll see a change take place. One of the greatest examples of this I've seen in my life, I went to a church one time when the worship leader wasn't there. Church started, and if you're ever a pastor, that's panic time. Worship leader wasn't there. Worship leader was 20 minutes late. Nobody, nobody you know, jumped up and down. Wow, they're late, they're late. He showed up. Got up there, started singing. After the last song was over, he said, I, I got to tell y'all what happened. I'm sorry I was late. I didn't mean to disturb the service. I was going. I was, I was going to be on time. It was raining, and I passed somebody on the road, right? They were broke down in the rain, and I couldn't leave them there. And you know what? He stopped. He, let on, he changed their tire in the rain in his church clothes. And that guy said, where were you going? He said, I was going to church. I'm a worship leader at such as us church. And the guy said, well, that must be a good church. I'm going to go with you. Followed him to church, and that guy got saved. Compassion leads to intercession, changes lives. You can complain. You can talk on Facebook. You can write your political leader. Go to marches. You know, call Congress. Congress don't care about you calling. They don't care about nobody calling. They're getting paid either way on both sides of the fence. 
The only thing that's going to change somebody in Congress is when you pray and God changes their heart. That's the only thing that will get through. If you don't think that's right, then tell me this, Sherlock. Why did Pharaoh let God's people go? Because God made him. And if you don't think this nation will change, if God can change Pharaoh, God can change this nation. So it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Yes, vote. Go vote. Vote godly. Don't vote for people that endorse abortions. For heaven's sake, we should be fighting for these children, not putting them in the grave. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, which the enemy has on our nation. And I told you, I believe it's apathy right now. Apathy. As long as, you, as, long as life's good for you, as long as you get your tax check, as long as you get your check from the government, as long as you can go to Walmart, McDonald's, whatever. But what about those that have no voice? What about these babies that are on these operating tables after they're born? Who's going to fight for them? What about these people who are on the streets who are homeless, that are hungry? Who's going to fight for them? What about these people that are in nursing homes that feel like the world's given up on them, that the world's forgotten them? What about the orphan who thinks nobody loves them? Who's going to fight for them? What about the widow? Who's going to fight for her or him? Who's going to fight for those that are down and out? Yet, we'd rather build three-story ivory towers than fight for those that are helpless, for those that are downtrodden. Stronghold, it is apathy. It is apathy. People pass it off as quietism. Boy, I'm just minding my business. I'm just doing my thing, right? Yeah, that's just masking apathy. Masking apathy. Listen to this. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You think infanticide is against the knowledge of God? Yes, it is. You're supposed to cast down those things. Those imaginations right now are being birthed in the heart of unregenerate congressional leaders. They're one-upping each other on how low they can go. New York, Virginia, New Mexico, Vermont, they're all one-upping each other right now. God forbid it keeps going. But as long as we still got our lights, camera, action at the church, we don't care. It's because we got apathy. So it says, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now listen, you know those are ungodly thoughts ungodly actions 
It's good to blast it on Facebook. It's good to complain about it. That's whatever. But if we're not praying about it, we're not bringing it into obedience to Christ. Stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. And look at this next verse. It says, And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know what that's saying? You should almost be like a pit bull looking at things that are ungodly and want to take revenge on it through prayer. You should be looking at things like a pit bull looks on people that come after their master. Things are coming against God. Things are ungodly in this world. You should be looking at it. And God, God, could, God should be saying, sick them, pray, sick them. But I believe God's now saying, I'm sick of you. Instead of telling us to pray, sick them, I believe he's saying, I'm sick of you. All about yourself. All about conferences, all about DVDs, all about book sales, all about coffee shops, all about souvenirs. And we're, we're too busy, we're too high-minded to look on the plight of others. See, you've been called. Look, they're trying to cram social justice into the church the wrong way. It's only, it only comes into the church through compassion telling you right now, you can't legislate morals. They come from God. You can't force somebody into that stuff. It comes from God. Now, two things. Intercession. I told you it's birth from compassion, but it, it goes with the heart of obedience. That's what it comes from, a heart of obedience. Being obedient to God. When you see things that are not of God, you pray for them to get in line with God. We've seen it all the way down. We've seen our nation, our nation has seen alcohol. I mean, the, the church in the early 1900s, their battle was not against infanticide, was not against homosexuality, it was against alcohol. If you don't think so, go read some sermons from Billy Sunday. That's what he was most famous for. Billy Sunday preached hard against it. And now we've progressed all the way down through history to now we're at the point right now where this past week our nation postured killing babies after they're born. I saw a, a, a young man who had a Down syndrome. He gave a speech and he said, he said, don't, don't look at me. Don't look at me as having a birth defect. Look at me as a human being. Don't think I need something to change. Pray and love me. And yet, we have people that look at babies. I wanted a boy. That's a girl. Kill it. Where are we as a nation when the church can go on business as usual when this kind of stuff is going on? Where are we? Where are we? Apathy, that's where we are. Apathy hinders God's people from praying. Apathy hinders God's people from praying. Let me show you a couple of more things, but I want to tell you something before we go there. If you will fight in prayer like this passage tells you to, 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, right? They're mighty through God to pull down strongholds. You want to see the nation change? Pray. You want to see your marriage change? You don't need to go to a conference. Pray for it. And if you want to go faster, pray together for it. You want to see a church change? Pray for it. You want to see it change faster? Everybody pray for it. You want to see the nation change? Pray for it. You want to see Congress change? Pray for it. You want to see the world change? Pray for it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to pull down strongholds. Are you pulling down strongholds? This message, this message today, they call to pray. A call to intercession. All of us could do better. So don't feel guilty. It's not, this is not gotcha. See, you hadn't been doing it. It's not gotcha. It's come on, let's do it. This message is a come on, let's do it thing. Let's change the nation. Let's change the laws. Let's change the church. Let's change our families and our children and our schools. Why is it? Why is it that we complain because the schools won't allow kids to pray or read the Bible in it, but yet you don't pray or read the Bible in your home? If you can't do it in, if your child doesn't see you modeling, getting on your knees and praying and reading the word of God, why are you making the school be the mama or daddy for them? They should see you modeling it before they see their teacher modeling it. I get it. I wish the teachers were all spirit-filled, Holy Ghost. Yeah, I wish they was all preaching Jesus. I wish I do. But it does no good if mom and daddy's not doing it. I've heard, you know, I've heard, I've seen parents do this before. If you don't straighten up, we're taking you to church on Sunday. Using church as punishment. The child should see the parent model a dependence on God and a desire to be with God's people. You are the church, but you're not the church when you're by yourself. The church is an assembly, and it assembles in God's biblical order. Fight in prayer. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your nation. Fight for your church. Fight for your prodigals in your life. Fight for Uncle Fred or Aunt Susie. Fight for them. Stop saying, yeah, I know. They're never going to get it. They in jail. They can just rot there. They, I know. They took money from you. They're low, low down, no good. Stop saying all that. Pray for them. Fight for them. Who's going to? You're supposed to be, uh, you know, you're supposed to be spirit-filled. You're supposed to know the Word of God. You come to this church, you're going to know where at least stuff is in there, right? You're supposed to be the one that fights for them. Stand yet. That's what Abraham did. He stood yet, and he interceded for, of all places, Sodom. Have we hit that bottom yet? God forbid. But when are God's people going to stand yet? 
between our loved ones, our spouses, our children, our schools, the infants of the nation. Do you realize that with these new laws that were being proposed of infanticide, that we've crossed the threshold as the most barbaric abortion laws known to man? We've done past China. China will, will forcefully abort your baby if you have it without their blessing, but even they won't do it after it's born. Where are we? We're in a dangerous place when the church is all smiles while the carnival's going on, the lights are shining, the, the speakers are blaring, and the, the, the laser lights are going, and the coffee shops are brewing. Some churches, you can't even join them if you don't show them their, your W-2s. Where are we? Where are we? We're in the land of apathy. That's exactly where we are. And it's going to change when me and you change. It's going to change when me and you stand in the gap for others. That's when it'll change because I just showed you prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Let me take you over to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59. We'll begin in verse number 14. It says, and judgment is turned away backward. How many of y'all feel like a lot of times the judgments come down and they're backwards? A lot of times the wrong people get the harsh sentences. Judgment is turned away backward and justice standeth afar off. Truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. You know, whenever people commit the same crimes, but one person gets off and the other person gets charged? Or you see, you know, discrepancies in, in the law things? Equity's not entered in. All things aren't equal. Yea, truth faileth. And listen to this. He that departeth from evil, that should be you. He that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. You want to live right? You want to live a godly life? You're, you're going to become a prey for others. You're going to become a prey. You're going to become an endangered species. You're, you're going to become the hunted. But good news for us, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen. If God be for us, who can be against us? Yeah, we're the prey, but God's for us. God strengthens us. God equips us. God quickens us. God gives us weapons of warfare that this world cannot come against. We can pull down strongholds from our knees. We can change people's hearts through intercession. We can change the course of homes and marriages and children's lives if we'll fight on our knees and plead before God. We can change the course of history if we'll intercede and stand in the gap for others. 
Those that depart from evil make themselves a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Do you think God might just be displeased that we've started advocating for infanticide in a nation that proposes itself to be a Christian nation? And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. How can truth be fallen? How can, how can all this happen and no man will stand and no one will intercede? And basically God said, well, fine, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to come to their rescue. This is what happened in Sodom. There wasn't enough righteous people praying for Sodom. And so God had to do something about it. God pulled Lot and his family out, and then God destroyed it. You want to see that happen to our nation? I mean, if you do, something's wrong. You want to, you, you know, uh, one of the times the Lord uh, was walking with the disciples, and, and the town rejected Jesus, and they said, Lord, let's call down fire from heaven. Let's destroy them. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Why did he say that? Because he came to seek and to save the lost. There will come a time of destruction. That's going to be at judgment day when the Lord comes back and he reckons with this world for rejecting him. But from this day to that day, God's desire is to seek and to save the lost. And if you're on a different channel, you need to change back to God's channel. God's desire is to seek and to save the lost. God's desire is that you would stand in the gap, even for the wicked, and say, God, change their heart. Open their eyes, Lord. Move on them, God. Not destroy them. Change them. Say, oh, those filthy Republicans, those filthy Democrats, stop saying that and start praying that God will save both of them. Stop thinking worldly. Stop thinking like they tell you to on radio or whatever. Start thinking biblically. Pray for them. Pray for them. Intercede for them. If you're not going to, who will? You got a hardship in your marriage? Pray. If you're not going to pray, who's going to? If your child is going prodigal, who's going to pray for them more than the mom or the dad? You worried about the direction your child's going. Start praying. Blast it on Facebook. I just don't know what my child's going to become. Da, da, da. Stop all that. Start praying. Things will change. Go to God. Stop going to Facebook first. Let me tell you something about, let me show you a couple of things about intercession, and, and, and we're going to, kind of turn the corner here. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter number 22. So Luke chapter number 22. I'll show you something about intercession. The complacency in the church comes from a place where we seek comfortableness above all else. Complacency comes from a place where we seek comfortableness above all else. I just want to be comfortable. I want to like it, right? Don't rock the boat. 
I, I commend you because not a lot of people like this kind of preaching. It's too hard, right? You're already here. Too late. <laughs> but you know what? Complacency is, what our, is what's killing our nation. Complacency and apathy together, it creates a dullness in the church. A dullness. If you're, if you're, if you're complacent and you're apathetic, Two things, you're not going to intercede and you're not going to devour the word of God. If you're not praying and you're not in the word of God, D.O. Moody said you need to check yourself. That wasn't his exact words, but kind of like that. You need to check yourself if you're not praying and devouring the word of God. It's your life source. It's where you, got, it's where you gain strength it's where God opens your eyes. It's where you learn what's right and what's wrong. And it's where God's power is activated in your life. Watch this. In Luke chapter number 22, beginning in verse number 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now that's Peter, right? Simon Barjona, Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desire to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now, I want you to know this. Satan's only enemy was not Simon. God doesn't have an enemy. God has no equal. It's not God and, and Satan arm wrestling over the world. That's unbiblical. It's unscriptural. It comes from an ignorance of the word of God. Satan is a created being. God could tell him to roll over and bark like a dog, and he would have to. God has no equal. He's not God's enemy. He's ours. He was Simon's enemy, but he's ours. So I, Peter later wrote, right, that our enemy, our adversary, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, the complacent and the apathetic. Seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he may sift his wheat, seeking whom he may have. Do you know right now that the enemy is prowling, seeking if he can have your family? How, how much will you kick back if he, if, he, if he divides you and your spouse? How much will you kick back if he takes your child? How much will, he, will you kick back if he places an addiction on one of your loved ones? How much will you kick back if he begins to destroy your school or your church or your city or your nation? You know that he desires to have infants? I showed you. You can go back, though, to Leviticus uh, 18, verse 21. It talks about Molech. This stuff's been going on since before all this stuff happened. They've been giving infants to Molech, and they still do it through abortion. They mask it. It's racism. It's birthed out of convenience and apathy. But this stuff's been going on, and it's still going on, and the enemy desires to have the infants among us, the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable. 
And God wonders why there's no intercessor. Why, why, why are they taking up a third donation so they can build a bigger building? Why aren't they on their face interceding? God wondered in Isaiah 59, why is there no intercessor? How bad did things got to get before my people cry out for change? How much do the most vulnerable and innocent have to be attacked before we take compassion on them? I'll tell you when you'll get compassionate when you get down and out. And if you're not willing to find compassion on them, God may just let you get down and out for a season. Till you break. Yeah, oh, they shouldn't be homeless. Oh, they shouldn't be this. They shouldn't be that. Just wait. You keep that attitude. Just wait. God will do something to you. God will allow you to go through a hardship. You can't find compassion on people right now. You need to check yourself. You need to check yourself. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but praise God, there's not a period right there. Now you get a biblical definition of intercession because Jesus said, but, praise the Lord, but I have prayed. Have you prayed? Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus prayed. Listen to this. Listen to this. Jesus prayed for Simon Peter, and he prayed not that he would swerve around that pothole, right? I'm praying that you'll miss the pothole. That's what you want the Lord to pray for you. But the Lord said, when you've gone through that, Right? That your faith fail not. When you hit the pothole and the wheels fall off, I don't want your faith to leave you. I want your faith to fail you not. That's what he's saying. When you go through the pothole and all the wheels fall off. Oh, God, what's going on? God said, I'm with you, child. I'm with you, child. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. You are not forgotten. You are beloved. Amen. You are beloved of God. You are a child of God. Jesus said that your faith fail not. Faith is birth. Where's the object of your faith? It's Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith according to Hebrews 12 verse 1. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. If, you're, if your faith rests in your church, your denomination, your pastor, your nation, your political party, whatever else, if your faith rests in how big your bank account is or how big your business is or how big your truck is, it's going to go away. But if your faith is in how big your God is, it will stand the test of time. Belly aching doesn't move mountains. The verse doesn't say, oh, Peter, I know the devil's after you. I, I just can't believe it, brother. I'm, I'm just so sorry. No, he said, the devil's after you, but I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. Jesus prayed for Peter. 
I prayed for you. Well, Lord, I don't want to go through that pothole. I don't want to go through this trial. I don't want to go through the hardship. Look, if God's with you, who can be against you? God's with you in the trial. God's with you in the fire. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God's with you in the den of lions. Ask Daniel. God's with you when everybody else forsakes you. Ask Jesus. God will never leave you. No, not ever. We're going to close over in Hebrews chapter number 7. So if you turn with me over there to Hebrews chapter number 7. So in our nation, we've got abortion, infanticide, a rise of homosexuality, pornography gripping the church and the world. The church is louder and more ignorant than ever. I want to show you something here in Hebrews 7, verse number 25. Because I'm calling this morning, this message, intercession or apathy. Because we're, we're in one of the two camps. We're either in a place where we're interceding from compassion or we're stuck and bound in apathy. And I want you to know this morning that when it comes to you and Jesus, he's not stuck in apathy. He's interceding for you. He's interceding for you. He loves you. He loves you. If you're here this morning, he's stirring you to a deeper place. If you're here this morning, it's because he wants to use you to change your family and your nation and your church. If you're here today, it's because he's stirring you up to action. He loves you. You're definitely not here because of the coffee or the donuts because we don't serve them. And you're definitely not here because of the smoke machine or the gold dust we put in the air vents because we don't do that. You're here because God's stirring you. Okay? Because the Lord is interceding for you. And I want you to know that he intercedes for you on a daily basis. He intercedes for you just like he did for Peter in trials. Not all the time that you'll be able to swerve around them, but that when you go through them, your faith fail you not. You'll know that he's going to go through the fire with you. You know that he's going to go through the storm with you. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You'll know his presence in your coming and in your going, in the fire and in the rain, in the loud moments and in the quiet moments. You'll know his presence at all times because he loves you and he intercedes for you. It says in verse number 25 of Hebrews 7, Wherefore he, 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 wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. 
I heard a preacher say one time, God saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. He takes folks from the gutter. Amen? You know why he takes folks from the gutter? Because he has compassion, which is what the church needs today. He saves them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. He saves them that come to God by him. In other words, if you'll come to God through his prescribed manner, which is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll come to God through Jesus, he will save you to the uttermost. You won't have lack. There won't be a hyphen. You won't be saved kinda. You won't be, be spirit-filled partially. You won't be walking with God a little. There's no partial there. He'll save you to the uttermost. He'll take you from where you are and put you to where God's called you to be. If you'll come to God by him. And look what it says right here. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What is intercession again? Standing in the gap. Just like Abraham did for Sodom. Standing yet. I want you to know this morning, God is calling you to a life of intercession. And right now, in our day, in our generation, you were born for such a time as this. You are not here by accident. You are here by divine destiny. There was a time whenever David came up to Goliath, whenever Goliath was taunting the nation of Israel, and David comes up there with some food for his brothers, and he sees what's going on, and he asks, what, is, what in the world is going on? Why is Goliath taunting y'all? And they tell him the whole story. His brother starts making fun of him, and David says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Because he saw his nation being attacked by Goliath. The runt of all runts decided to do something about it because there was cause. This, this enemy of God, he was what? Defying our God. And I want you to know right now that the enemy is raising up, raising up things in our nation that defy our God. And God's calling us to cast those things down. Cast down every stronghold, every imagination, every single thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Get on our faces before God. Find compassion in our heart for the downtrodden and the hurting. And Lord, have mercy. Find compassion for these babies. Lord, have mercy, find compassion for them. And we can, the only reason that we can do it is because Jesus is doing it for us. There's, a, there's something in you that's telling you, this is what I need to do. I can, I, you know what? I haven't prayed like that in a while. I need to get on my face and pray for this nation. I need to pray for my marriage. I need to pray for my child. I need to pray for my family. I need to pray for, you know, all these things going on in the government. I need to stop complaining. I need to start praying. I do. There's something in you doing that. It's because Jesus is praying for you. That stirring's not from my preaching. It's from Jesus praying. 
God's stirring his people right now. God's stirring his people right now. There's a call to arms, spiritual arms, call to pray, call to intercede. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, we'll see God change this nation. We'll see God change this nation. Father, we thank you this morning for your love and for your mercy. And Lord, we thank you for your grace right now.